chance, one life, one take. Little room for mistake. Who do you? Well, hello, Jade. Um, welcome to listeners. Uh, welcome to the Dead Funny Dead Serious podcast. My name is Mitzi. I'm the host of this series, which is Thirty End of Life Doulas in Thirty Days. Our first, our our guest today, not first guest. It depends on what day it is, right? Yes. Um, that you're listening to this. Uh, but this is Jade Klimos. Welcome, Jade. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. And well done on this huge task that you're undertaking. <laughs> it's fun. It's <laughs> fun. I was like, only 30. Um, but then I realized, like, that's um, 30, 30 things. So here here we are. Yes. But I'm so excited. And it's going so well. So I hope everyone is, uh, you know, enjoying the show. and listening to the episodes and learning a lot. Yes. Um, so Jade is coming to us from Michigan in the United States. Um, and I just want to, we're just going to dive right in, Jade, uh, to your why. Good. Why Why did you come into this work? Okay. Well, why not? <laughs> um, I am one of those people that I really feel like um, this is just what I was supposed to do my whole life. I was fortunately and unfortunately introduced to death at a very young age. Um, at three, I walked in and found my father's body and tried to wake him up. And I remember every detail of that. And then <clears throat> I was probably seven no, I, I know I was seven when my mother was in uh, a fatal car accident. She was, she and my aunt were hit head on by a, a drunk driver on Thanksgiving day uh, on the way to the hospital to see my grandmother and my aunt died and my mother ended up with uh, a brain injury. And then just a couple years after that, my uncle came home from the Amazon, he was a missionary, and he died in his sleep in our basement of an aortic aneurysm. So I never had the luxury that other people my age had, where that where death was unfamiliar. Death was always my companion. It was always just around the corner, and um, it shaped my whole life. So. I ended up going to school for social work and became a social worker. And I started working with uh, developmentally disabled adults, which are now intellectually challenged. They've changed that um, nomenclature. But um, And then at 25, I found myself working in a nursing home, um, developing Alzheimer's programs, and we opened up a hospice wing. And that was my first introduction to hospice. And at the same time, my director taught me therapeutic touch so I could help the hospice patients with their pain and anxiety. And so that was the beginning of my actual death, death care work. Um, obviously, my death education started earlier than that. But um, I, just, I just was meant for it really um anyone you talk to that knows me will say i was born for it and i i, I take that to heart 
I don't, I don't know if I, I mean, I clearly had to be born for it because those are a lot of traumatic experiences in, in one childhood. So clearly if I put on my mystical hat and I look at things, I most definitely had a hand in organizing those things so that I could do this work. Thank you for sharing that with us. It, it does sound like, you know, I always, I, I kind of say that sometimes that there's some of us that death just always is tapping us on the shoulder and being like, you know, I'd like you to be comfortable with, with me. And, and it's like, no, no, I'm good. But then it's like, it then comes again. And it's like, no, you're one of the ones that needs to be comfortable. And it sounds like that was your path since an early age. Yes. Yeah, I like the way you said that. Yeah, I would definitely say death was asking for a friendship. Yeah. And and you you took it on at 25 going into um, the hospice care space. I mean, that's fairly young to be um, kind of going in that direction. What was that like um, being kind of 25 and, and going there? And it also doesn't help that I had a baby face. Yeah. So, um, a lot of, a lot of my clients would think my patients would think I was a volunteer and like, I was doing this for my high school graduation. <laughs> Which, I'm like, Oh, I love you so much. You're my favorite. <laughs> um, but I was always really open with my experience with death so that they could understand. I didn't just go to school for four years and get this diploma and in this or this degree and think I can do this work. I really do understand you when you say it hurts like this. I understand what that means. I understand what it means because I had my own experience that you you're having. And I can also understand that your experience of it is very different than mine. Mm -hmm. um, not that I know what you're going through, but I can understand it. And those are two different concepts. Yeah, it really is. And and I think that the breath of even different deaths, right, from the grief and loss mm -hmm. perspective are just so different. Um, our resilience is different. Um, our anxiety about death is different. And yeah, having that skill set. Um, but I do, I love the fact that you had a baby face. Um, I, I kind of had the same thing when I was working in assisted living and they were like, who are you? What are you doing here? And I was like, I belong here, I promise. Um, it's okay. Right. I'm not playing dress up. <laughs> this is not take your daughter to work day. Yeah. <laughs> Super fun. Um, and, you know, the, it's a lovely compliment when we get it. And then it's, at the same time, it's like, no, trust me. We're here. We're here for you. Yeah, it, it really was a challenge because they would look at me like, what are you, you going to, you know, I'm 80 years old. What are you going to teach me about living and dying? And it was valid. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. I can, I can tell you, I can tell you, I bring this experience and we'll go from there. But what, can, what are you going to teach me? Because it was always two sided. You know, I just have a philosophy anyway, that we go into everything as the teacher and the student. Mm -hmm. If you're going in just thinking you have something to teach and something to give, then you're too much in your ego. You have to understand that there is always something for you to learn. Oh my gosh, that's so important. We're going to put a pin in that one right there. Like, <laughs> so important, right? And and I also mm -hmm. would 
go with the idea of I have nothing to teach you, um, but I'm here with you. I'm, you know, like I'm here. I'm going to walk with you as we're, you know, as you're going through this experience. And, uh, you know, if I learned something, if you learn something, bonus points. Um, But it's not really about that. It's about just being present with each other and and helping if we can. So I love that. Really important piece is that we're not teaching anybody anything. Everyone knows all they need to know about death, um, really. Um, But we have some book skills and some different ideas that might be helpful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe. And maybe they're not. (laughs) Uh, Super, super interesting. So we understand how your why, how did you, so you became a social worker Mm -hmm. and you learned some physical or the touch, right? Therapeutic Therapeutic touch. touch. Yes. And then what happened? So how'd you get to EOLD? uh, End of life doula. Um, Okay. So I followed the course, you know, my hospice profession. (laughs) career. That's the word I was looking for my hospice career. And then I ended up going back into working um, with the intellectually challenged and everywhere I went though, because of my life experience and because of of my longevity in hospice, um, I just, you know, and and I was working with intellectually challenged. We, I worked in a residential program, right? So we were their family. So when we had and, and people die there too, right? So I became kind of the death person. And even when I was a therapist for a very short time in the psychiatrist's office, I just became known as the, she's the one for the grief counseling. She's the one, you know, for the caregiver stress, that kind of thing. So it was, it just always was, I was always, hospice was always in me, even when I was not always in hospice. So when I moved here in Michigan, I took some time off. I sort of semi-retired from social work and I wanted to explore some other opportunities and I was really expanding. Now this whole time, I have also been working with um, healing moment, other uh, healing modalities. Mm-hmm. So I got certified in therapeutic touch. I got certified in Reiki. I received shamanic rites and I've studied like all of the other ones. Because I like to know what I don't know. I don't always incorporate them. I'm not just collecting certificates and things, but I like to know what I don't know to see if it's something that resonates or not. Mm -hmm. And I also love to do that because I like to see what all things have in common. Because I feel like when things are in common across these different cultures, then that's close to the truth. And I love that. I love following that. So, um, I, I have been doing, uh, alternative healing methods for 30 years also. And so as I'm sitting here in my new home in Michigan, not rushing out to get another just nine to five job, um, I was just exploring different things. And then one day, I don't know what happened, but as much as I complain about the internet and social media, I came across this word and, you know, end of life doula. And I think it was Deanna Cochran, actually, if I'm not mistaken, that I came across and read the description. I'm like, oh my God, this is what I've done my whole life. <laughs> I, this is what I've done my whole life. I didn't know there was a title. I didn't know you could make it into a profession. So 
I mean, outside of hospice, obviously, um, by myself. But that is what hospice social worker was way back then in the 90s and early 2000s. It was non-medical holistic support. I loved it. I loved, I, I had dementia patients in nursing homes. I went and I visited, I spent an hour with them. And I would read and play music and do healing work. And their pain meds would work better. They'd be sleeping better. Their terminal restlessness was diminished. That, and that isn't really necessarily what can happen now in hospice, right? Because everybody's, that's one of my concerns about the future of end-of-life doula I don't necessarily think it's a good thing if we get paid for by insurance companies and Medicare and Medicaid. While that may be a relief to the families, you're not, it's going to change the service. It limits, you know, you're going to have, oh, now I have, instead of, oh, I'm just going to take five clients. Oh, now I've got a caseload of 46 because it's just going to be like a hospice social worker. And what hospice social workers are doing now is like arranging DME equipment, you know, durable medical equipment. They're doing all of this stuff that, I'm, what? <laughs> like, that's not what I went into social work for. I, I can't imagine how they're feeling. So I, I really do hope. I mean, I think it's beautiful if hospices decide to hire end-of-life doulas because of the medical, you know, the regulations, the Medicare and what limitations that puts on social workers. They can't do this anymore. It's not saying that they shouldn't or they're not qualified. They're just not room for it anymore. And I know that it frustrated a lot of the social workers that I work with at hospice. But this stuff needs to be attended to. You know, that soul midwife stuff, it's missing. Because we have all of these people that are good at this administrative stuff now. Because that's what we've created the culture to be. And the souls are just kind of shriveling, you know? Uh, what an amazing point. And I'm, I'm so happy that you brought that up uh, and shared that piece with us. And I think a lot of people really do. I think it's a lot, it's very confusing because in the nineties hospice was more um, doing what we would call doula work now. And now the medicalization mm -hmm. of hospice um, with insurance and Medicare and Medicaid is one of those spaces um, that, yeah, you're right. Um, we have, it's almost like we have to switch back in some way, but we don't know yes. where to go with it. And I think a lot of people are feeling it. We're just not articulating it as well as you just did. So thank you oh. so much. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I'm glad that I said the right thing at the right time. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I hope that people listen to this and, and find that useful when they're navigating what that means and like why to why to hire an end of life doula if you have hospice. Well, um, because they're two different things, and we are starting to realize that I think the language is kind of stepping up, and we are starting to talk about the fact that it, it's medical work, and so end of life doulas are non medical assistants. Yes. But what does that mean, right? When when you're part of the public and you're just looking for support at end of life, you know, we don't exactly know what that means. And then also end of life doulas kind of need to right. have that language as well so they can articulate that to their clients. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's this middle mm -hmm. ground and we have to have these conversations. 
uh, so we can start building that yes. language. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. So. Ooh, that was, that was good. That was really good. So oh, we got your, your, how you got here. Yes. Going to Michigan and going that direction. So what are the challenges that you've seen as you, now you got to Michigan, you open this, you know, yep. part of you, you're like, oh, end of life dual. That's a word. <laughs> what challenges? <laughs> <are you> finding? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> finding clients, quite frankly, at finding a referral base. Maybe that's a referral source. Maybe that's the, the, the true issue. I just, I, I had all of these grand notions, right? I went and I did go through an end of life training, uh, end of life doula training, um, not because I felt like I needed it because I felt like I wanted to know that I was using the term correctly. Like what I, what I was, uh, you know, accepting to myself, I wanted to make sure I was using the term the same as everyone else was. So I did go through a training and, you know, it, it kind of made it really seem like it was possible to have this full-time business. And I got out and put a hung up my shingle, so to speak. And the phone didn't ring. <laughs> I, and I sent, I, I've contacted lawyers, you know, elder law attorneys, um, estate planners, uh, doctor's offices. Oh my gosh. I really, I, I sent a huge, I had such grand hopes for doctors. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, because I heard this woman's story that she was, at her doctors at her oncologists and they, she was brought into this office and told that she had, she had had her last treatment. There was nothing more for that they, they could do. They left the room and left her there and just sent her home. Now this is her perception. Like we all know that when, when people get that kind of news, there can be other things that are not filtered filtering in but that's my point that's my point if you know that that happens why don't you call in an end-of-life doula this is someone that can walk that person home literally walk them home from that appointment and say okay what are we going to do now what are we going to do with this time you've gotten this information someone who can follow up and call her the next day who can do lunch with her who can help her if she wants to get a second opinion or can just help her, you know, process emotionally all of the stuff that just came at her and can even set up an appointment and go back to the doctor to ask the question she didn't know to ask because she was blindsided, you know, and nothing. I, I sent out these wonderful proposals and nothing. I got nothing back. So that's my challenge. I just, I don't know how, so that's why I started my own podcast, The Death Witch, so that I can at least get my information out there, you know, and talk about the things that, you know, that I know that are questions that come up and perspectives that aren't traditional, right? Like, um, I, I'm just working on my next episode. It, does, it doesn't launch until April 10th, which is my mom's birthday. So that's why I waited. I just thought... If I'm going to do April, I might as well do April 10th. Um, and it's going to be, you know, why, how death can be healing. 
you know, because people always pray for healing, you know, don't give up, pray for healing, fight to be healed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then they have, then they're left with this disparity with their God because they prayed for healing. I believe in healing and yet I didn't get healing. Well, well, death is the ultimate healing Mm -hmm. and we can look at it like that. Even though you're disappointed and you're hurting, I get that. But death is the ultimate healing. Like this body is impermanent. So the ultimate healing is when it's served its purpose and we move on and that our loved ones are there to help us do that. It was a lovely sentiment. And I am going to go and listen to all of your podcasts and subscribe. And I encourage everyone else to do it too. (laughs) Because you are welcome. Right. When we're doing this work, um, what you said about you put out this sh- your shingle and nobody called. Um, it's a, I think that we're all kind of in the same space of trying to educate and inspire folks uh, in a field where death anxiety and death avoidance are strong and warranted. We all know somebody with death trauma. Um, yes. We all you know walk <clears throat> gently with those folks. And I think there's this middle piece is there's people that are able to listen to this podcast, right? They're listening right yes. now. I hear you. You write, you're, you're taking your run or whatever. You're driving your kids to the something and you're listening to this podcast that you know, right? That you're, you're right. able to listen to this. You're able to turn on the death witch and listen that you're a special kind of human that is able to take this information. in. So how do we educate and inspire the ones that are not quite there yet? right? We're going to walk beside them as they're, they're not there. And I think that it's just so pervasive in, in the public that we have to find that way to educate, inspire, and then be like, it's okay to use us, right? Doctors and lawyers. It's fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh. So, okay. So we got the challenge. Now we're just going to roll right into it is what are your hopes for end of life field? Cause I think we kind of covered it, but just go for it. The biggest hope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I really go for it. I, what I want is, I really, I go back all the time. I was raised Catholic. Okay. So I love ceremony. That's, you know, Catholics love their rituals and their ceremony. They may not call it that, but that's what it is. Now, I left the Catholic Church because of the dogma. It did, it did not resonate with me. Um, but I, I love my upbringing. I, I have fond memories of certain things. So I have brought that forward into my own practice. And then also, you know, um, as a spiritual advisor or the spiritual component for all of my work, whether it's the healing work or end of life doula work. Wait, what was the question? No, (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. So, um, I, I model myself a lot, a lot of my philosophies off of Aboriginal people, native people, right? I just feel like they didn't complicate things so much. They didn't bring so much man into it. Everything was really spiritual. They were connected to nature. So I look to that a lot. Their model was that tribes had one healer person, right? And the whole tribe was the family, right? So that's kind of what I think end of life doulas should be. I don't think that we need to go into big business, right? I don't want us to be big business. I want us to be community healers. I want us to be the go-to person in our communities, 
right? One here, one there, one there, and then like the circles overlap, right? So that you can have support, right? If this is my circle, oh, you can't see me when I'm doing, this is my circle. And then this is this person's circle and they overlap a little bit as far as logistically, you know, then if, you know, this isn't a fit or this isn't a fit, you're close enough that one or the other one couldn't work. Does right. that make sense? Mm -hmm. I just talk in circles speaking about circles <laughs> but i really think as a community servant mm -hmm. is the way to go ultimately what we should do or what should happen if we do our jobs right there would be no need for a profession for end-of-life doulas because everyone would be able to serve their own family yeah. and their own neighborhood right I know that's not very big and <laughs> take over the world kind of thing, but it's just, I, the industrial revolution didn't always do us favors. Mm -hmm. There are things before that time that were in existence that were better to serve our souls and our spirits than what happens now. Yeah. You know? I think you're you're really speaking to the idea of community care, and again, going back to how do we work that out as everything is medicalized, um, and mm -hmm. yes. we are in a capitalistic society. So how do we make community care work? Um, and we did have yes. a, another doula that I just think really um, cemented it with this. Uh, Cindy Kaufman said in one of the other episodes that you know we're trying to educate ourselves out of a job. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so yep. if we can educate the public on how to do death care and how to help their own communities, like we know doula will have a job. So <laughs> absolutely. Perfect. Yep. So hopefully, if I do it right, I'll, I'll be unemployed. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and if we do it right and we do it together, mm -hmm. it's going to be quicker and faster and better and more healing and less traumatic. And that's, you know, yep. Reducing the death traumas is, as why I'm doing this right now. So I hope that this is helpful. Yeah. So I want to thank you. Gosh, thank you so much, Jade. It was, I, mm -hmm. I think there's so many quotes out of there that I can take and, and just be like, people need to hear that. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I don't get a chance to speak on it like this. So I really appreciate you offering this platform for me today. Oh, thanks. Uh, really you are do. very welcome. I'm glad you were here. So, um, again, Jade Klimos, um, Thank you for sharing your how and why. Uh, all of your information is going to be in the show notes. Um, and you can be found at judithclemos.com. Um, and again, it's in the show notes. So you'll be able to find that. And your podcast is called The Death Witch. Uh, yes. Which is awesome. And is that on um, major platforms? Can they find you? Yes. It's on Spotify, Apple, all of them. I do it through Anchor. Okay. So they do all that journey work. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I love, and Spotify is my favorite thing uh, since sliced bread. So there's that <laughs> in general. Uh, so thanks to all everyone that's listening right now. If you're enjoying the series, um, 30 Death Duelas in 30 Days, it, it would mean the world if you could just subscribe or like or review or whatever it is that you want to do. Pick one, just do one of those. That'd be awesome. It tells us to make more content like this uh, and that this important um, conversation about end of life ethics is important to you. Uh, so after you do that, then jump on over to Instagram and TikTok, like us there, um, because that helps us get to know you and what you want um, and you want us to do. And that's all for today. And we'll see you in the next episode.